Hello and welcome to B-Sides, the show where we talk about quite literally anything. My name is Jacob. And I'm Jory. And today we're going to be talking about Netflix's The Crown, which follows all the ludicrous Windsor consequences of what happens when Colin Firth dies of cancer. Jory, what did you think of The Crown? I do get that reference. Um, I enjoyed it. I think it's mostly interesting. Mostly interesting. Yeah. That's a great pull quote for the show, for the third season. Jerry Southers raves mostly interesting. I think it it promises at a lot of interesting things and delivers some of them and misses the mark on others. So, but mostly it's enjoyable. I find it enjoyable. Right. Well, this is, I think, there's many things that can be said about the show, but I, I don't think you can really find too many faults in the sort of production. Of no, it. it's beautiful. You know, but also when you look at it, I mean, how much money they fucking spent on this show. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely, it, it almost makes me wish the show didn't exist. Like, oh, just do something else with that, with that money. <laughs> but, it, you know, sure, the way it's shot, uh, the, the production design, the costumes, uh, the acting, like it's all, except for a couple people, which we'll get to later. Uh, it's it's yeah. pretty much all amazing. And world class. The the awards are well deserved on that that front. Yeah, it is. It... The writing is the only thing about the show that's uneven. Because everything else is like pretty much like yes, okay. And, and, but you know, you have some winners and some. I agree, but I don't think that there's any. I think that some episodes, and some even within that, some kind of speeches or bits of dialogue are brilliant mm-hmm. and then some are just okay I don't think it's ever like bad and it, like it's not it's I, uneven in that it's not constantly not amazing but I don't think it's uneven in it in that it's it, it's not good I ever. think it gets bad in, in only two or three moments um, which we'll have to skip way further into it mm. um, but for those of you who don't know about the show um or have no idea what my intro meant. Um, essentially, it, the, the show follows the life of Queen Elizabeth. Um, the, the beginning of it, shortly before she was queen, when her father, George, um, played by Jared Harris and not Colin Firth, um, essentially realizes that the, that's the ball game. He's dying of cancer, and uh, his daughter is, is going to have to assume the throne. And, and, how, and all the convulsions in, of the political sphere of Britain at the time are thrown into the mix, and the familial. Uh, obligations and how does her her husband feel about it how does her sister feel about it and dealing with with, you know the butler who seems more in charge of what happens than she is yes Tommy ah Tommy Tommy do you like Tommy Lassell I do like Tommy Lassell he's I think we'll talk about this later but I think he most talk about it more later he most encapsulates the interesting parts of the series the idea of duty and putting one's duty above oneself and right. doing whatever it takes for the crown I think he does that yeah that's that's there's one line in the second episode I believe that to me encapsulates what I find most interesting about the show and I think you'd agree when um because uh, Elizabeth and, and Philip are off on this commonwealth tour I think that's that episode Essentially, they're, but they're away, and they find out the news of, of the death of, of the king. And so, when they come back, she's not coronated yet, but she's the monarch now. Yeah. 
Um, the rest is more of a formality. And as they've landed in London and Philip is just about to leave the plane, he's stopped by one of the aides um, and, and says, no, she, Elizabeth has to leave first because the crown takes precedence. Um, and it's a, such a simple thing because he probably didn't think about it. He mm. just wanted to leave. But anything that would have normally just anything about their day-to-day lives, such as it was, and it was pretty outlandish because they were royals. But it's completely out the, the window. Yeah. And then the added interest, which by this time we know that it's going to happen. But the idea that, you know, she was never meant to be the queen because George's brother abdicated. So his family right. was meant to be the, the sovereign family. And so she's, I guess she's known that this has been coming for a while. Came earlier than she expected. I guess her dad was quite young when he died. She was right. quite young when she became the queen. So I guess dealing with that, but then also having some kind of resentment towards it that it was never meant to be her. Yeah, she has a great sense of, of as you say, duty to the job. Mm. You know, she's not a revolutionary queen in the sense where she's really going to shake everything up of her own volition. She doesn't have any revolutionary ideas no. herself, but she does it not because of a love of it, but because it is her duty. Mm. Uh, but also, even though she can't show it, and, and the show is illuminating in those moments when the facade drops and you see that she this wasn't what the story was supposed to be and she sort of uh, mourns for the life that she wanted to lead which would be more compelling if it wasn't as I say already a life of yeah (laughs) you know I can't live in my home you know like you get to live in fucking Buckingham Palace you know well you can't yeah I can't live in the one palace I want to live in I have to live in the other palace that they make me live in yeah absolutely which is why and we'll talk about this I guess in detail as well why characters like Margaret so Queen Elizabeth's sister, who is painted as this tragic figure who will just never have any satisfaction in her life because, you know, she all she wants to do is go to parties and, you know, root whoever she wants to. Um, it's not as compelling because how sad for you that you have no, to just live this there's... life of luxury and privilege and not really do a huge amount... Well, what makes Margaret interesting is two things, I think. Well, one is I think that um, the name of the actress, of course, escapes me, but, you know, I think she's a good actress, and I Mm. think that she plays the part very well. But also, conversely, is that what's most interesting about Margaret is not really Margaret. It's more of how what Margaret does and wants comes into conflict with that sense of the crown takes precedence. Yeah, you're right. So you have... um, Scenes where she's supposed to give a speech in lieu of her sister. And so, in a sense, she's not the monarch, but she sort of takes on the... the ceremonial. The ceremonial uh, visage of it. And um, and, and there she's told, you know, you, you can't make the speech you want to make. You gotta just do it like it is, by the book. Because that's what this is. This is not you, Margaret, time to inject the personality mm. and... Of course, she can't help herself. And she is a hit. She's very charming. But, you know, it's more interesting to hear Elizabeth have to deal with the consequences of... I don't know what the word is, but the besmirching, in a sense. Yeah. Of, of it. As opposed to Margaret, you know, me cheering for her. Like, yeah. actually, oh, you, you know, you finally got to be yourself a little bit, but, you know. You're right. And she does... This is something that Elizabeth has to do 
not only with Margaret, often with Margaret, because she's a terrible sister, <laughs> but also has to do it with Philip, because he's a oh, terrible yeah. husband. You know, it, she has to do it with her uncle, the former king, because he's, you know, just painted as this... Nazi? Nazi. Well, eventually a Nazi, well, yeah. but just a ridiculous fop, you know, like... Yeah. He is someone who also, uh, it's hard to sympathize with. Um, the episode when they deal into his more uh, Third Reich sympathetic uh, outlook is the most interesting because the rest of it is just essentially because he abdicated and, you know, so. Uh, because he was going to marry someone who was divorced uh, and this didn't fly. So he left for love, which I can understand, but, you know, he. Hear him whining, I live upon this measly allowance. And you, you see, yeah, exactly. You see him also in his own mansion, and he just shows up to write letters to his former, to his, <laughs> his, his, I think they're married, to his wife, yeah. uh, the Duchess, and, you know, you see, how horrible my family is. <laughs> like, oh my God. I, you know. <laughs> this wretched town. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so this is what I was talking about at the start where I said, I think it, it's, all of that is enjoyable. I don't, sympathize with the characters and I'm, I'm not worried of their plight but it's an enjoyable kind of thing to watch but I think this is where the show is to almost two different things so there's the all the duty stuff mm-hmm. and it, which is especially in the first season and the first half of the first season when she first becomes the queen is very fascinating and it's such an interesting concept and then there's all this other side character stuff which does reflect back on that her. broader theme, but not as directly and not as interesting. Well, it's interesting because I'm not entirely sure. I haven't read too much of uh, audience reviews, mm. except that I know it's rather popular, right? But I don't know exactly what they want from it or what the reaction to it was because the first season deals infinitely more with uh, not just the duty but the politics of the time. Because yeah. one of the main characters of the first season is uh, John Lithgow playing Winston Churchill. And how... In the world's biggest coat. Yeah. <laughs> in the world's uh, <laughs> biggest personality <laughs> and, and voice. Um, and and how, essentially, it, it's his last term as prime minister. He's 80. You know, and he, he, he ran again. Mm. He was very famous and held, held as a hero for essentially shepherding... And holding the the ring of the Allies' powers um, until Roosevelt can get in, and so it deals with Elizabeth, who has to not just ascend to the throne, but contend with a prime minister who has, has been around the block before, knows what he's doing, and is in his own way trying to scramble for relevancy. Yeah, he uses her. So yeah, so he uses her, but she's trying to not use him, but you know. Trying to make a go of it. So it definitely deals just with how does the monarchy and the British government work separately and together. Because you get a whole slew of scenes concerning cabinet mm. and how they feel. And, you know, you, you get a sense of how the monarchy interacts uh, in, in, in what way is it symbolic, in what way is it not symbolic. Yeah. Um, and the second one, clear, season that is, clearly trades up 99% of this. For more of the soap opera y yeah, melodramatic moments. Even in the best episodes, I think, of the second season are full-on melodrama. I agree. It's much more character-focused and uh, much more based on 
supposition, I guess, because I don't know. Oh, hearsay, yeah. Yeah, I don't know what the, I haven't looked into the research of the, how what research went into making The Crown, but the, I imagine the first half is, first season is mostly historical. Yeah. There's probably government papers. I don't know if the palace has to release correspondence, like, under law. But I feel like they could have... And I actually did, like, I, after a couple episodes, would Google, you know, whatever the main theme of that episode was. Like, whatever crisis they were dealing with. And it plays pretty straight. It's almost like the episodes are almost just a complete copy of what happened in real life. Yeah. And then, you know, the second season we have Margaret and her... Photographer, John, whatever his name is, Anthony Armstrong Jones. Yep, sure. Tony, let's call him Tony. Let's call him Tony. Um, and then you know, courting and romance, and it's all made up because it's all conversations that they have amongst the two of them, which there's no record of that. Mm. Right. So I think the first episode, uh, the first season, it's also much slower. The first th- season, yeah. Like uh, the the time span covered is much less. Like, the king is alive for the first three episodes? Yeah. He, he, he t- takes him three episodes to die, I guess. Um, the rest goes through several... Not maybe not years, but it, it goes through several yeah. events, and it's not too much in... It is in chronological order, but not because it nece- necessitates it. You know, you need... Yeah. Uh, in, in the first season, because you, you essentially watch her ascend to the throne... The second one is just, all right, well, you know, I guess the through line is Philip's cheating on her. That's the big arc. Yeah. And so because of that and because it doesn't deal so much with historical issues, it, I guess it has a freedom, if you want to call it that, or a looseness that this first season doesn't have. So the second season, like, Elizabeth is pregnant twice for one episode each. Mm-hmm. So basically, and they, the episodes end with her giving birth. So she's, like, one episode spans nine months. And then, you know, it jumps from June to Christmas time. Like, it just takes massive leaps because it's not so much about the Suez Canal crisis or, you know, the rise of America after yeah, the it war. Like, feels, it's, it's just more character-based, so it can kind of do It feels really it more focused because of it, but also wildly unfocused. You know, in the sense where you can have an episode devoted to, as we mentioned, Tony. A whole episode devoted to Margaret. Mm. Right. Um, but, you know, in lieu of that, it's not, as you say, there's a whole episode in the first season, my favorite episode, actually, that deals with the coronation. Um, and that's, I mean, takes place over a couple of weeks or so. Or yeah. Months, maybe. But, you know, it's one topic. And amongst all that topic, you do get, essentially, the greatest hits. Do you know what I mean? Uh, you get Margaret, not, excuse me, you know, Philip fighting with, with Elizabeth and trying to figure stuff out of how can he sort of stake his claim for control or uh, manliness even, in a way, mm. which we can explore later. But, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, Churchill's in trying to, you know, shoehorn his own way into making sure things are going a certain way. You get uh, all of them arguing with uh, the committee of making sure things are proper. And also, uh, one of my favorite scenes, not just in the episode, but the whole show, is because uh, Philip wants to televise the event. That's mm. his big contribution. And I would say, even if it does come from a wrong place of him trying to be a controlling person, 
I think it is a good one because when he says, you know, we need to democratize and put it inside everyone's home, they all say that's the worst thing to do because it ruins what makes us so great. Mm. But he says, you know, I was carried away in an apple crate. You know, I know orange. what it's orange crate. Ah, you know, I know what it feels like to have this all taken away. And if we're not careful, it's going to happen again. Um, so this is the, the proper step. So it, within that, it has a heading. We're talking about the coronation. Mm. But it really just goes through all. Yeah, it is a and very it, And it episode. encompasses all the different points that other episodes would deign to dedicate 90 minutes to. Yeah. They do it all, and it's a perfectly told story. Yeah. It's... And ends with roughly, I think, a pretty faithful 10-minute sequence that recreates exactly what happened on that day. Yeah. You know, from arch- archival footage and, you know, books and research. They mm. just reproduced it. That that's what happened. And it is a it is a very good episode. I think it's probably my favorite episode as well. Because it is... You're right. It is the greatest hits. It's, I find all the historical stuff really interesting because, you know, I know how the queen works I guess or how the monarchy works because I'm Australian she's my queen and you know we have mm. some brief some vague understanding they travel to your country and, uh... every like 20 years and complain about how far away it is um, but I kind of understand all that but I wasn't so much aware of just like early or mid 20th century English political history because why would I be so I find that really interesting I find that you know the historical nature of it interesting and then they do fold in all the kind of character drama the fictionalized or dramatized at least dramas of it like philip's manliness and winston churchill's cravenness or whatever right um but it, it all kind of folds back to that greater theme of you know the crown and the role that it plays in society and that she as symbol of or the face of the crown has to play as well and that inevitably leads us to my least favorite episode of the first season at least uh, which is the fog episode which funnily enough uh, does what I praised about the coronation episode which is that it devotes a whole episode to an event mm-hmm. or in this case a tragedy which was the crisis when London was engulfed in a fog that killed hundreds of thousands of people as they sort of soberly remind you uh, in a title card at the end yeah, of the episode. Yeah. But I I don't know. I just couldn't stand this thing. I like... I, I like that episode. I like it much more than you do anyway. <laughs> I think especially now having watched the whole thing, and they obviously didn't know this at the time, but in the second season there's a lot of standalone episodes. Yeah. I feel like this is a standalone episode of season. Oh, entirely. Where you could take it out. It doesn't progress the story, like the story of the season particularly. You could take it out and nothing would be affected. Take it out and not just not watch it and you're still going to understand. You skip from season, oh, like episode four to episode six. You're not going to miss anything. You could almost watch this episode without watching anything else and it's going to be like an interesting story. I agree with everything you said up until when you call it interesting. <laughs> I think the actual historical event's interesting. I think what happened, I think that the idea of governmental inaction um, 
or people sort of, because Winston Churchill the whole time, you know, they're showing him all these reports, and they say, look, this is serious business. What are we going to do? And I think it's actually a very prescient one, you know, uh, getting into a lot of the different political fights we're getting into now, or people say, here's the papers, and they say, mm. it's going to be fine. I don't need to worry about it. And Winston Churchill opens his window one day and finds, you know, that he can't see three inches outside of that plane of glass. Yeah. I think that's absolutely fascinating. But I think the way that they handled it was cheap and overly affected. By using the secretary that he yes. has a soft spot for. Yeah. I, I, a, yeah, cliche to have the secretary in general, because Winston Churchill is supposed to be very harsh and demanding, and he just has this soft spot for a, a, his secretary. Who, I'm not saying she's bad at her job, but she also happens to be blonde and very young and beautiful. And, you know, she does give him what for, but it's like, that's such a, you know, overused thing. Yeah. And the moment, the moment that they start spending in that episode more time than they ever have with her, I didn't bother looking it up. Yeah. And finding out if this actually happened or not. But to me, I don't care. Because they spend a whole bunch of this show they never did. Showing her and her flatmate who who's also who's gotten deathly sick, so she risks everything to get her to the hospital, even though they tell you, stay indoors, this is going to kill you. Who couldn't call that she was going to die? Well... And it was going to be what lifts Churchill's eyes. I mean, ten minutes in, I... You can shut it off, because you know exactly what's going to happen. You're right. You're right. I... It's definitely not my favourite episode or anything. I think... Yeah, actually, maybe you're right in general. I, I feel like... It you... is very obvious and, I guess, therefore, boring and unnecessary. Yeah, I feel like they spent so much time recreating and the city looks beautiful in, in a very haunting way. Mm. You know, with sort of the street lamps illuminating dimly the, the rough outlines of, you know, Piccadilly Square or wherever. And and the, once again, they did a fantastic job with the set, with, with the design, but... The, the story, I think, is hollow because it, this is one that also completely throws out the duty. Because the royals are there just to look out their window every morning and yeah. go, oh, oh, gee. And then it's back to Churchill, who becomes a prisoner of his own inaction. Yeah. Until he realizes, oh, I guess I was wrong because it affects someone that I liked personally. And then he decides, I better do something. And then he sits in the hospital and writes this impassioned speech and there's a voiceover and the music, and I'm supposed to care, but I just don't. Well, I guess if it does anything related to the broader season, it is that. It's that, you know, he's under siege. People are saying he's too old, he's not with it anymore. And he's, you know, he uses the coronation to fend off his opponents or his, you know, right. successes, potential successes. And he uses this again at the very end, you know, he write he does he writes this stirring speech and he goes to the hospital and it's seen as him being in touch with the common man. So he uses it for his political Right, but advantage. the reason why he was actually there was to see the assistant. Yeah. And it's seen as craven in a way that's not interesting to me because it's a cliche and not humanizing because it's evil. Uh, <laughs> however, all of what you're saying perfectly describes Another favorite of mine, which is the one where Winston Churchill gets his portrait taken. Oh, I'd really like that episode. Do you know what I mean? Like, everything you're saying about him uh, feeling offended on all sides, and I think that a more accurate metaphor for that 
he's not a fog. It's not him in a hospital. It's him looking at himself as in a painting. It's way more intense and affecting, and it humanizes him because he's raging against this painter who he becomes a friend with, yeah. who's there to paint his uh, commemorative portrait. Um, and, and feeling betrayed by this man who he sort of essentially has psychological sessions with as he's being painted. Yeah. And, and it's, it feels like such a betrayal. And I'm with Churchill, even though I don't think he was right. I felt for him. Yeah, I don't care about this fog shit. Yeah, I can. Show me no, the paint well, yeah. every <laughs> And that's another one that, as you say, you, I mean, you can just watch that one. Stand alone. I don't think there's anything that you need to use to, you know, um, the language of the show needs no cipher. You don't need to see this. Yes. But it right. matters because it advances Churchill's character in the most important of ways. It's thematically linked, not narratively. Um, mm. But the other one is just wish wash okay i think i you know you've put forward a convincing case and i think the jury rests <laughs> or whatever i, I <laughs> a unanimous I, verdict i loved that painting episode though it was very very good it's interesting that it does do so much to advance his character only to have him retire at the end of that episode yes um that is to contradict myself. That's the only thing you need to know is that he does retire. Mm. Because otherwise he's not around anymore. Um, and Anthony Adine can ascend to the ministership. Um, but um, out- Fumble it. Badly. Yeah, horribly. But outside of that, you know, I, I think that... Yes, he gets all this uh, just to retire, but I think the most pressing image, the most imperishable one of the episode, and not the series, but at the very least one that sticks in my mind is of him... After understanding all of it, understanding that the painter is his friend, wasn't trying to hurt him, that is indeed how he actually looks, even if he doesn't like it, mm. and he still burns it anyway. Yeah. I, I thought this was just lovely, and, 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 it, and, it, and it really struck my heart and pierced it in such a way that I don't think I, I felt similarly about almost any of the rules problems as, as much as I like those characters more, I, this to me struck the heart of humanity in a minute, wow. in, in a way, of, of, of the, the contradictory nature that lies in our heart. Of, he can understand, but he still can't look at it. He's not going to have it. It's a, it's a poison gift, a poison chalice, and he, he must resist it, um, even if he realizes he's potentially wrong. <laughs> I, it, it killed me. I loved it. Okay, it was I so good. I didn't dive quite so deeply. But um, it's an interesting, it's an interesting concept. It's like you know, it's interesting to hear you talk yeah. about it in that way. How how does the season end? I no, I'm, I'm absolutely drawing a blank. Like I know exactly how the second season starts, but I forget how the first one. Well, I concludes. think with the lead up to that. So the second season starts with like three episodes or some a ridiculous amount of time with Philip on this worldwide Commonwealth tour. Right. And he was sent because he needs to find his place, right? He's... A, yeah. He well, doesn't know what his role is in the family. He doesn't know what his role is in the... Well, he doesn't know what his role is in the monarchy. Doesn't know what it is in the family and doesn't know what it is in within his marriage. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's acting up, being a dick. And so he's sent away to give him some duty and some responsibility. I think that... 
the season. So that's the opening of season two. I think season one leads up to that. So I think maybe... Because season two opens with them on like the on royal the boat, yacht, yeah. reuniting after five months away. And I think the last episode of season one is... Probably him being sent away. Yeah, and because of he had done something. It's and... most likely indicative that we can't remember. <laughs> I don't know. He, I, well, I, I think that says something that I have a pretty good memory. I actually cannot recall a single thing I that happened. I feel like it's just an episode of like the sh- highlighting the struggles of their marriage, which is also I watched the season two finale just today, so I remember that one, which is the same. It ends with them having this really earnest... <coughs> conversation about their love for each other and how they're going to overcome this terrible situation they're in. Right. Like, ugh, whatever. <laughs> I think... Well, I think that, you know, there's, there is a push and pull, and even though I can't necessarily... I sympathize with the plight of someone who essentially, you know, is acting very petulant because he has everything. Mm. In a sense. He may not be oh, the king, but he's got everything. That's how it ends. He gets made the prince. Well, that's how it ends in uh, season two. No, season one. So Does it? They have this negotiate. Oh, no, wait. No, you're right. I'm 99... <laughs> yeah, I don't remember. <laughs> I'm 99... Yeah, because I think that that's, that's roughly to, to your you're point right. of like yeah, yeah, all yeah. this character development of one episode, which are like... They're short films. I mean, they're 60 minutes mm. um, to 70 or something like this. Um and and so you, you start with them on the boat and it takes three or so episodes of them growing beards growing beards and horsing around and Elizabeth kind of waiting for her husband to return and hoping he sort of calms himself or yeah. or, or whatever and finding it like, but as opposed to one episode of, of Winston Churchill growth just for him to retire you have three whole episodes that's that's a that's a fucking Lord of the Rings movie there and he does you know, <laughs> wow. you know just for Barely. him to get Become prince. And then he doesn't grow because it disappears for like half the season and then toward the end of the second season he's back to his philandering ways. You know, irresponsible. There is something though... So that that they can try and resolve that at the end of the second season. In terms of Philip and Elizabeth, I don't, as I say, have sympathy for Philip because, you know, just like, fucking shut up. But... I do, I think that it is a testament to Matt Smith and Claire Foy, respectively, as actors, that they can take that and I, in some of those scenes when it seems like things are going well, you know, knowing what's coming because of the the sort of flash forward on the boat, Mm. and also historicity, um, uh, it, they do just sell me on the fact that these guys really love each other and care for each other. The camaraderie and the the, the partnership they share yeah. feels very real to me. So even though it is over for some very stupid reason, when they do end up fighting, I'm rather gashed because I, I feel not because of their writing, but because of their performances that they've made me worried for their partnership, even if I don't really care or sympathize with what's tearing them apart do you mean like i don't care about their problems but i still want them to stick together because i like how they've sold me on this team you know the the, in the quiet moments when they're like in bed and and they have little exchanges yeah so i was gonna say i quite like philip's character because he is a ridiculous man child but he's also the most 
level-headed, that's probably not the right word, but the most self-aware of the members of the family. Like, he knows, you know, with the coronation episode, he knows that it needs to be democratised. There's just, he just comes in every now and then and says, and makes a reference about how ridiculous all of this is. And I think you could take it either as him, like, being glib and not knowing his place, or of him knowing exactly his place and trying to figure out what he has to do to yeah. maintain it and ha- what he has to do to help his wife in this ridiculous situation. Yeah, he's, he's, he's someone who's, who's painted as being terribly smart also, mm. you know, who, who is very perceptive, as you say. Someone who... And so it does run contradictory to his more petulant side, but I think they do roughly coincide. Mm. In in a funny way, where he is so smart and so astute, but it's probably what is causing him to be petulant. He sees it all as being rather stupid yeah. and silly, yeah. so and so he feels as if he can just act out. And there's also something to be said for progressive men of any time, but specifically of the you know, 40s, 50s, 60s, where you can be as progressive as you want and talk about all the stuff you're still going to feel a certain entitlement because of the fact that you are the man and when mm. you boil it all away a lot of his arguments come from shouldn't I have been the man of the house yeah shouldn't I have been the the head of the home the one they call for first the one who leaves the plane first no it's gonna be Elizabeth uh, always uh, and yes. he can't wrap his head around it. he can't accept that she's uh, in in a sense in every way more important well, yeah, absolutely. But what's interesting about that is that that's those things are still within their roles. Mm. He's also not... And maybe it's just it wasn't depicted. I think early on it showed him playing with the kids, like Charles and Anne. I know at sure. least you're half right. <laughs> Anne. Yeah. <laughs> Anne and Jimmy. Anne and Jimmy. Um, you know, he's... Anne and Gladys. <laughs> Um, yeah he's shown kind of being quite affectionate toward the children in the first half of the first you do still see it come back you know when he when he finally shows up again uh, after his tour in season two yeah you know he he still does it I mean there's that whole episode which we'll get to later where um, it's essentially the the Gladys show um, (laughs) where Gladys goes away to boarding school and that's another standard episode. episode um but you know, he, he is very affectionate of the kids and he's not acting out because he hates them. He's acting out, also not because he loves them either, you know what I mean? He's just acting out and it happens to be flying in the face of his love. Because it, it seems like he doesn't care, but he does care, but he doesn't care enough to not do it. Well, yeah, yes, and that's, you know? what, I'm, that's what I was talking about in that all of the problems he has are with the roles... Not necessarily with the family. Like, he's not... He doesn't talk about, you know, why why aren't you a better mother to your children or anything like that. Right. It's all like, why do you have to put on this ridiculous charade? Right. Well, that's, that's going back to my favourite scene in uh, uh, the coronation episode where Philip is arguing for the uh, television... Uh, the televised, excuse me. The televised... Uh, event of it um, and he finds out that he can 
get it essentially on the condition that he kneel. So he mm. said, I'm not going to kneel. And in, in a way, his argument is slightly progressive in that sort of trap doorway where he says, <laughs> you know, well, shouldn't we be equals? And if it were me, shouldn't you have been standing? He's doing it obviously as a sort of like a, a smarmy way of getting out of it. Yeah. But um, she says rather imperishably, think of it not as bowing to your wife, but to your queen. Yeah. I mean, I see no reason why you shouldn't bow to your wife anyway, but, you know, forget uh, that for a second. What but a gentleman. Like, and he says, no. <laughs> Eventually, obviously, he does, but, you know, once again, he's not... That's the converse, actually, because he's not really fighting against the the queen part he just doesn't want to bow to his wife yeah you know it, yeah. the rest of it is him saying you know yeah the queen part's stupid but now he's saying oh I get the queen part I just don't want to bow to you yeah well either it's complicated or complex and you know multi-faceted or it's just not that good I, I think this, it's more this, this aspect of his I think it's more multifaceted because I feel like he's exactly the type of person who would flip like that mm. when it suits him, you know. Uh, but it's not for lack of love; it's just from a lack of understanding about anything, really. I mean, smart as he may be, you know, every man like that has a hole in his heart, and he's roughly trying to fill it, and he just doesn't know which way, you know, because they all turn loose. that's interesting all of that is interesting in that it reflects oh I don't know well I was going to say it reflects back on Elizabeth and what she has to do to keep everything together well didn't we we, actually yeah I'm going to go with that because in both ways in both the sense of her role as the queen and as the as as his wife it's everything just always comes back to her and this sacrifices is probably not the right word but the concessions that she has to make for throughout the whole series so there's never an episode except for the really weird terrible actually kennedy's episode oh yeah we're gonna get into the kennedy's episode garbage where she you know out of jealousy for uh, jackie onassis goes to ghana and dances with the president of Ghana, I guess, against all advice. So she throws off all her kind of uh, decorum. Well, decorum, but also like the seriousness and the I don't know what's <laughs> Well, what is she attempting to do in that? I mean, what she's doing in that scene, if I recall, is it's funny because at the end it's painted as a rousing success. Yeah. Right? It works. Uh, but essentially her using what she has, because she realizes that Jackie Onassis is using the tools at her disposal to seem absolutely charming around the world. And she feels jealousy that she seems to be robbed of that because she's seen as frigid and, you know, like some sort of robot. Yeah. By necessity. And so this is her using that bit of her personality. You talk about the two Elizabeths, right? Elizabeth Regina... And Elizabeth Windsor. Yeah. And this is her letting Elizabeth Windsor sort of win the day. But, well... Disagreeing with, like, how stupid that scene is and how bad that episode is, I think that's... She's using, like, her why. I understand that. Yeah, I understand that. 
I question whether Elizabeth Windsor wants to dance with the Prince of or the whatever he is of Ghana because she doesn't. No, she's reserved. No, but Elizabeth she just wants to fade into the background. So it's not her finally breaking down. No, breaking it's not. It's Elizabeth Windsor herself. wants to you know not be seen as sour power vinegar tits <laughs> and you know it's a do something quote unquote fun while still showing up Jackie O and winning a decisive victory for diplomacy, the root of the problem I cannot remember for the life it's, of me. Uh, communism. <laughs> um, oh, Russia. Russia, Russia. is They're involved in Ghana. Anyway, it's That's a right. garbage episode. But my point... Who's the PM then? Who, who's the, who's uh, that the... old guy whose wife is cheating on him. I don't know. McIntyre? Mac- McIntyre? McNamara, Mac something, Mac something. Okay, Harold McBishop. Harold McBishop. So Harold McBishop. There's a scene. <coughs> not to completely gloss over this, I want to make sure we get it in. One of my favorite scenes is of Harold McBishop, who everyone's mocking him. Like he knows his wife cheating on him. Everyone is like taking the piss in a way, and he he hears about this comedy show. Yeah. And you're rolling your eyes. I I loved this scene. I'm not. Okay, I wasn't rolling my eyes. I was just acknowledging <laughs> that I know what you're talking about. Because um, uh, he and he decides to go. Because essentially, he he finds out he, they're openly and on stage parodying him and really giving him what for, and he goes mm-hmm. and they spot him in the audience. That was a bit too far for me in that yeah, in that moment. But the idea of him sort of nervously chuckling as they get a good whack at him because that to me is also I keep bringing back to it but the show's about you know the democratization of the crown you have that other sh- uh, episode which I loved where um, Lord Archicam uh, I think was his name the, yeah also a very good the guy who, who, who sort of writes an expose in his paper of what he thinks the crown should be and how in response to Elizabeth giving a completely tone deaf speech at the coalface or wherever she went to motor um, factory motor factory the <laughs> <laughs> um and and he's and she has a meeting with him and says we'll get back to that later maybe but you know here's what you need to do and she listens to some of them of making this thing not so crazy and rigid and I think the whole show we don't know where it's going to end is of Britain becoming less austere because there's yeah. one thing I remember listening to an interview with John Cleese about comedy um, and mentioning that very show uh, not that night but just the program. Right. Of Because of, before, you couldn't laugh about any of this. Yeah. You couldn't do it. And not to say that their jokes were the funniest or the performances weren't the funniest. There were good jokes and they were funny jokes. But to be able to go there and sit in an audience and laugh at the Queen and the Prime Minister when any... They would have been thrown in jail, but it would have been considered rather antithetical to the culture. Yeah. And this was a great breakthrough and tremendous release of human energy. That comes with being able to laugh at those in charge. It's very important. I think that that's what the show is also in. You have the duty sense, and then this other idea of we have this duty, but must it stay the same? Should it not evolve? Yeah. Into something more, and it's in slight moments and episodes like that which really make when Elizabeth dances with Ghana a bit of a tough pill to swallow, because it feels like you don't really understand what I think makes your show so great. Yeah, it's it's probably that episode is the fog of season two. 
I would say, yeah. where, you know, it's used to make a pretty obvious point. And it makes it incredibly obvious. <laughs> yeah. But I guess that's interesting that... I, I guess this theme, if there's going to be a theme of the second season, it is modernization. Yeah. And it's done in various ways and through various different kind of issues that need to be addressed. But it is, you know, a changing culture and this yeah. decade, decades... <laughs> Decades old institution of the British crown. This, you know, centuries old, millennial old institution trying to keep up with the rapid change of society. Yeah, and I, and I think that that, funnily enough, even though I was complaining about it, ties directly into the more colloquial and relationship type episodes. One of which is one of my favorites, which you hate, I, um, which yeah. is the... the the romance between Margaret and Tony. Yeah. Because Margaret, as we discussed, is sort of... <sighs> she sucks. <laughs> she does suck. She wears great clothes and she and, oh, drinks like a sailor. <laughs> it's Vanessa Kirby who <laughs> plays her. I all, just remember. That's all she's got. Vanessa Kirby, I think, uh, she does a great royal royal accent. She's, uh, she's she's very good. She, she's very good. She just plays a garbage. And person. I think that the closest I ever got to understanding her, or at the very least sympathizing her in that way, was in those two episodes revolving Tony, the photographer mm. with whom she falls in love. Because, well, one, I'm probably in love with Matthew Good. He's just terrific. Um, I think you are. Yeah. I, he's, oh, he's so good. <laughs> Everything he's in, man, he's so good. <laughs> And understated, which is what I like. Understated. 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 He's understated in this role? Yes. No way. Yes, he is. He couldn't be more obvious in this role. It's so cliched. Or do you think that's because of his performance or because of the writing? Because we were speaking earlier, and I think your indictment is actually correct, where uh, Tony is presented as sort of the counterculture role within the monarchy. Uh, Once he becomes... uh, actually husband to Margaret. But even before, when she sort of is riding around on his motorbike and taking risque photos with him, um, I think it's more the writing because she goes to disappear at a party uh, full of normal people, quote-unquote. However, the normal people are, you know, reporters and journalists and politicians politicians and all this sort of... Artists and... Definitely not the the working you know, class. Eton graduates and people. Oxford yeah. attendants. It's all a bit Oxbridge, uh, you know. <sighs> and, uh, but I think he shows up and amidst the uh, admittedly poor writing, he shows up and he's got this, this way about him. I think he's rather charming. I don't think he's charming and I guess that's oh the difference. God. I haven't seen him in anything else. I mean, there's that whole sequence when uh, they go to his his studio to take photos. You can talk about how the whole sequence itself, the way it was written and captured, is a bit much. But, I mean, what about him specifically made it unbearable? Firstly, it wasn't unbearable. I think it's an interesting, a good standalone episode... Where if you want to do a 45 minute or whatever it is, you know, piece on 
two unlikely people falling in love. It's it's a pretty good representation of that. I am very uninterested in rebellious society girl goes for the outcast guy, uh, outsider guy. Right. Um, because I just don't care. And that he's... What she finds most attractive about him is that he's so dismissive and of her and kind of almost contemptuous of her and of her family. And he I, he does that well. He plays contemptuous very well, but it doesn't make me like him. Well, I, mean, <laughs> I don't you think he's a dick. I don't like the character, like, I want to grab a beer with him. But do you know what I mean? Like, I like the character that I'm intrigued by him, and I think it's mostly because of the, the performance. Um... Especially when you find out why he's roughly pursuing this relationship in the later episode, where, which is the corollary, when you find out he's also got sort of a domineering mother. And in his own way, his own royal family with which he's contrived. And so they're very different, but he has his own sense of he's going to do this because it's going to make them happy. Yeah. Um, and I find that fascinating in an illuminating way. Because it, it, it's... It's a poison apple. He doesn't really want it. But he's going to take it because of what he thinks he's supposed to do. Yeah, but the stakes are so low. Like, I find that's interesting, you know, with Philip and Elizabeth, right? Which is not, it's not the exact same thing, but the general theme is interesting with them because they don't have a choice. They can't get out of this. You know, spoiler alert, but Margaret and Tony get divorced like 10 years into their marriage. Yeah. Margaret is nothing. She's now like sixth or seventh to the throne. (coughs) She has no obligation. It's just that she's from this rarefied family that he has no regard for. Like, and I don't know, I just don't... I don't think his sacrifice of marrying her... Is, I wouldn't call it a is, sacrifice, but I would think that, you know, you you do things that you don't want to do to please the people that you love, even if you think they hate you. And so I, I'm i very intrigued by this concept. Of, of He's not doing, I mean, not to say he has no love for Margaret, not to say he has no compassion for her, but he's not doing it solely because of that. And when he finally asks her to marry him, it's not... Just because, oh, I can't be parted from you from any second, you know, from this no, day. It's, not. it's because, A, she's really pushing it. And he, his, his mom in the car over to the church says, I hope you're not doing this for me. And he's, you look, you see this look in his eyes and I think he plays it perfectly if just the last line of his character in the show is when Margaret's yelling at him to come because she's off screen and he's mm. talking with Philip and you hear him quietly go, fuck. <laughs> it's lovely. And I think that that's his character. Yeah. I, I just don't care. Fair enough. Um, do you care about uh, the Nazi uncle? No, I don't care about the Nazi uncle. What about, think... the, what about the Nazi uncle episode? That's, I think, roughly next in the chronology. There, yeah. Give or um, take a, <laughs> an episode. A forgettable episode. That's interesting because it 
ties back to the, you know, historical nature of the first season, which yeah. is kind of abandoned quite a lot in the second. It, it opens uh, rather strikingly with uh, getting Jared Harris's George back and John Lithgow as Churchill back hmm. to to sort of they have they've got some photos and you, we don't get to see them until the end of the episode when actually the audience is treated to historical photos mm. not reproductions actual photos of the real uncle what the fuck's his name I want to say Arthur that's incorrect his name's David but he was king ah, it doesn't matter <laughs> uh, but no you know uh, Chuckles here in, in hanging out with uh, with with Hitler and, and uh, in the Reichstag and all these things, they're actual photos. And yeah. so I think that starting, having a bookend of the credits playing over no music once again, photos, uh, and bringing back, uh, I love Jared Harris. I think he's a great actor too, and I think he's lovely as, as George. Um, to sort of them saying, we got to seal this away. We've got these photos. Mm. And, and the dominoes are set up, and you know uh, they, they fall in the coming minutes. Yes. So, and then tied in with, I don't know how accurate it is, but throughout the episode, whatever his name is, what's his name? <laughs> I, Arthur. It is Arthur. I, it's got to be right. I think, he's I think it's Albert. King Arthur. Albert. <laughs> There's only, like, five king names. We have to figure out which one it is. All right, well, we're not Googling it. We're going to stumble through this until we figure it out. Well, he's not Charles. No. (laughs) He's not George. No, he's not. No, his dad's George. His brother is George. Yeah. It's got to be Albert. Let's go with King Albert. All right. Well, anyway, his name is... Prince Albert. Prince Albert Museum. Yeah, that's Victoria's husband. Yeah, Victoria and Albert. Anyway. Go with Albert. (laughs) So, Albert... (laughs) King Nazi um, is canvassing for a job, right? He's bored with his la-di-da life in France. I gotta go quickly back for a second, which is the thing that I've cared the least about and the only time when maybe I hate the show and started laughing is, uh, I think it's actually at the end of the Coronation episode, which is my favorite episode, Mm. but when, because he's watching and they... I forget the mechanism of it. I think there's either a veil placed upon her or something, and he's gathered his foppish friends yeah. to essentially mock her. And and secretly, you see the envy creep in. Yeah. And his former, he played a former. The, his 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 wife, the Duchess, I think recognizes it. I think that's what they're playing it as. But they ask, why does she have to go within the hood or yeah, the box so it, or something? And just to so they cut. She does go into the hood, but they also cut the broadcast. Which is another interesting aspect because they were willing to do so much, but they couldn't do this. They couldn't, and, so and they cut away. They just put like a title card up on the screen, and they all ask, "Why don't we? Why aren't we able to see it?" It's when Elizabeth is being anointed with the holy oil. Yeah, and why can't we see this? And, part? Can, and, her ask, and King Nazi ask. says, "You know, it's because she's becoming a god, or something like this." Yeah. And and later, we're he's, mere mortals. We're mere mortals, and, and, and she's. He, and he's Divine. off playing his bagpipes. <laughs> just crying. And it's so stupid. Because this is when I just I just can't stand him. Uh, and 
Maybe that's what actually happened. I don't know. But he's just <laughs> off. And he's early in the episode. He says, I only play my bagpipes when I'm, you know, I'm fond of England again. <laughs> fond of England. So I'll play um, my Scottish instrument. No, he's, he's sick of his bagpipes. He's sick of his home. And so well, he's canvassing for Yeah, so, which, so this is stupid in itself. He's sick of having parties in France all the time. So he wants to get a job where he can have parties in England all the time. Mm-hmm. And use his influence. And what he does best is hosting. So why can't I be an ambassador? Or why can't I be an attache? Or a you know, liaison of something? Like, wait, he wants to be a lobbyist of some description for the government and the royal family. So all right. he wants to do is... <laughs> Throw parties. Because he's sick of throwing parties. <laughs> it's stupid. And so, but this is the kind of... He goes into England. He has to get, as per his abdication agreement, I guess, he has to get permission from the Queen to visit the country. Right. So he gets that permission. He does all these kind of secret backdoor deals. At the same time, the Queen is finding out that he was a proper Nazi. And then he goes to her and asks for the favour of her approving his posting. And she can't do it because he's a Nazi. (laughs) And then kicks him out of the country. Yeah. It's actually funny because the the whole thing is supposed to be played very affectingly. And it is when it just has an opening and then the closing. Which is honestly the only part of that episode that I actually recall. Mm. But the thing... That's funny because I think the next episode is the when Gladys goes to Gordonston School, which intrigues me horribly because I love that episode, except for a part which I'm going to talk about. Okay. Um, but uh, you get, I think it's that episode, maybe I'm completely mistaken, but when you have flashbacks of Philip, you know. That's um, the Gordonston. Yeah, because yeah. Philip, uh, Gordonston is his alma mater and it's rather rough and tumbling, so he sends Gladys there as he says you know this is what you've got to do it's going to make you a man or yeah. something along these because lines because he's unusually sensitive yeah Al, Al Gladys mm-hmm. and his Philip's sister dies in a plane crash and you see flashbacks of it and Philip his family and all that they were Germans they were properly embroiled in the Nazi regime and so when he goes to his sister's funeral you know you have just the funeral procession, he's walking down the streets and everyone's in a Nazi uniform. Yeah. There are several SS members, this is high-level stuff. Mm. And I think Philip's sort of reticence at this and the way the young actor plays it, who's absolutely wonderful also. Yes. You know, that does everything in almost complete silence um, that the previous episode, I think it's called like Vanguard or something, you know, whatever. Mm. Uh, the King Arthur, Albert, Uncle Fuckface, you know. <laughs> Whatever that episode was trying to do in 90 minutes or, or some such. The Gordonston episode, Paterfamilias, does in 10, and it's way more affecting because the performance is better, the setup is better, it's more economical with its time. Um, and I think you feel for someone who, in the performance, you see, I don't. It's not, you know, Uncle Nazi in his past has caught up with him and he's got to reckon with it. This is a young boy yes. who doesn't understand, knows that he doesn't feel comfortable with it. Yes. But it's still his family and he's embroiled with And his Nazi, I think it's his uncle or someone says, you're responsible for the killing of my it's favorite. His father. Ah, it's his father. 
you know, you, you killed my favorite child. child. And, and it's... God, it just, it's, it's rooting, you know? It is... <laughs> it is interesting. And it's something that's referenced a lot. And this is a fascinating, like, real-life historical thing in that... So Philip's family were German royalty. Yes. Which doesn't make them Nazis, but all of his siblings married members of the Nazi party. Yes. And obviously when things like a funeral happens, the government, which was run by Nazis... Because then, like, nobility, right? Would have obviously sponsored it and, and done all this stuff. And so... And then that's referenced a lot through the whole season, the whole series, actually. Like, it goes back to... So the first... The very first scene, maybe, of the first episode is Philip receiving the honours that he needs to from the king so that he can marry the the future queen. Yes. Uh, because he's not of the right station, so they have to bring yeah. him up so that it's an acceptable Well, that's actually match. interesting because that scene also does something where that, that's the one that first sets up sort of Elizabeth's more cunning political mind stupid dirty dancing in Ghana aside um, because they sort of I think it's the mother the queen mother who or someone is, t- is speaking about it and saying you know no one approved of this union mm. you know rewind the clock everyone said bad idea and look what's happening Yes. You know, and, and we don't get to see that, obviously, but it sort of sets her up as this someone who, who can scheme and maneuver her way to get what she wants. Yeah, and she... we don't see that Elizabeth too much. I think she does it a lot. She just doesn't do it proactively. Something bad happens and, you know, her reaction to it is to move the chess pieces so that it well, ends in the way that she well, wants. Well, the flashback forward is is because uh, Gladys doesn't want to go to Gordonston. No, and no one wants him to. I think it's it's Philip's uncle who, or whatever it is, mm. you know, um, uh, Lord Mountbatten, I forget what the relation is, but he... It's his uncle, yeah. His uncle, who, who essentially is like, I'm going to take you out of the school, Gladys. You don't, you don't like it. I want what's best for you. And Elizabeth agrees, and she says... And and no, Elizabeth is completely against it. And Philip says no. You know, he says no. I I'm in charge of this. You've let me be in charge of the education. Yeah. And and there was really no chess pieces being moved, except to say in the end when you get the historical facts again. No, like well, the... no, sorry, I wasn't actually talking about that episode. I was talking about other. Episodes like the one where in the first season there's an episode where both Churchill and his deputy are gravely sick and they hide it from the Queen because they don't want her to know, obviously. And so she finds out that both that the country was at risk of not having leadership and nobody told her, and so she does what she needs to do to put them in their place. I, I not in that episode, not in the the school episode. Well, no, but I, just in general, throughout the I know. throughout the series, she she makes the moves that she needs to to get what she wants, but she does it after not getting what she wants. Right. She does that as a reaction to being dicked by 
somebody in some way. And then she, I guess, asserts her authority and writes. I guess that's fair. Because even in the episode that I was mentioning, you know, they have an argument. Philip wins. Yeah. You know, the whole episode is set as a flashback with Philip at Gordonston and uh, and with Gladys struggling through Gordonston. And so... Um, and, and in the end, when, you know, it all comes to a head, and you sort of get the the sobering facts of, you know, he was taken out of the school. Well, he wasn't, no. Sorry. He wasn't taken out of the school. It was, oh, no, so it, was, it was that his children... Christmas. Yeah, yeah. It was so, that his children were never yeah, sent. Yeah, so he comes home for Christmas, or for whatever. That's what it End is. of term, I guess. And it, it actually, like, it makes it seem like he's been taken out of the school. And then a title card comes says up at the end that says he stayed for five more years and he described it as a living hell and a prison sentence. And he chose to send his children. To a the school to that he was supposed intent. to just go to. Which is very interesting. I don't know if they're going to continue the crown. Well, they can't because she's still alive. <laughs> but if they're going to continue the crown, like, you know, into... Way past when, yeah. Charles of uh, Gladys's reign... Um, or at least, you know, his his marriage and his, his children and all that. Um, but, but if they do, that's setting up something that's very yeah. interesting. Yeah, and I think that's something where that all comes to a head when you didn't even roughly need that title card, in a sense. It's good they had it. Well, I was going to Google whether he stayed there or not. But... He didn't have to. The best scene in that episode, I think, is when... Because Philip is a pilot. One of the foppish things that he does. I'm going to go be a pilot. Yes, you know, he's I, the head of the armed forces, air forces, yeah. so he needs to know how to fly. He's no how and, and he's got nothing but time. So. The whole first season is him just, you know, learning to fly from Margaret's first paramour. Um, Not even what Group Captain Townsend, who sucks. Um, but, and the whole plot goes nowhere. But essentially, so he's flying uh, Gladys home and they're having it out. And there's lightning and all this, and, and mm. Philip is unperturbed, and there's thunder, but, you know, his son is just absolutely mortified. And, and, because he's a kid. Terrified, he's yeah. a kid! And he's flying in a hunk of metal, mm. and it's thunder, and it feels like, you know, the, 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 the sky is screaming at you. And Philip is yelling, why just can't you be a man, or why can't you be yeah. brave? And, and the way they both play... And Philip, when he sees his son recoil in that manner and sort of curl up in his seat, he you, the way Matt Smith plays it is beautiful because he sort of sees, like, I've probably gone too far, but he still believes what he believes. He doesn't like that he's caused his son this pain. Yeah. And his son to be essentially also scared of him. But he still believes what he's going to believe and he keeps him at the school. But, you know, there's a yeah. look in his eyes when... His son physically recalls from him that I think Matt Smith plays beautifully. And, and that's, to me, the crux of the whole episode. Well, it's really interesting because there's a scene earlier on where Philip is flying to the school with his sister, mm-hmm. who I guess acts as a mother figure in his life, acted as a mother figure in his life. And she's terrified of flying as well. And she's freaking out, in the, much in the way that Charles does later on. Right. And he comforts her, like... You know, twelve-year-old or whatever he is, Philip comforts his sister in a way that he doesn't do with his actual his son. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so that is telling because that whole episode is Philip putting his son through this pretty—I don't know how terrible it is. He had to run through some mud, 
and his window didn't close. Like, you know, it's not that big a deal. It's not horrible, but I think that because the episode runs contrary and parallel with Philip's experience and Gladys' experience, so you have that insight into Philip as a child, but also into what the kids are going through. One of the potential future monarchs. Do you know what I mean? Um, Mm. it, It didn't seem like absolutely hell. However, I mean... In terms of, like, you know what I mean? Like, I would not want to go to a place. I, I kind of would. You want to go to a place where they dump cold water on you? Yeah. And you... Well, no. Not the cold water. And they, they're, they're bullying shop. you. But they, like, have to build stuff, and they have to run and do, like, orienteering. And yeah, but well, they have to run through the mud run. without their shoes on. And yeah. No, I think that would be pretty cool. I'd be down with that. Okay. And it would, oh, like, I just don't want to take a cold shower. <laughs> I don't want to take a cold shower either. I feel like there was enough in it that suggested to me this is a certain type of lifestyle that if you're not into that, you might describe it as a living hell. Mm. Potentially not that worse. And it's also, he's probably thinking of it in such terms because he is. It was definitely the meant future to monarch. Be, yeah, it was but, definitely meant to be difficult and unpleasant. For everybody, because they had to, like, they were doing manual labor between their classes. They were having to get up at crazy know, the crack hours of dawn. Yeah, I, I, have, like, it was meant to be unpleasant, and it would have been unpleasant. I understand. I will say, though, that throughout most of it, though, that it is rough. But nothing about, to the credit of the show, I think, presented the headmasters as being cruel and unrecommended. No, he was a great guy. But do you know what I mean? Where yeah. it's like, it's, this is a particular type of place where you're going to learn some life skills. Yeah. Or, or whatever. Absolutely. But and not, we're just going to beat your ass forever for the sake no, of it. No, that no. wasn't the, sh- the, the shtick. Um, the juxtaposition is between that, which is... Definitely not a usual school. It's it's rough and well. Tumble. No, but Philip did learn but, character because he has to build a gate, and eventually he does so through the morning, to the dusk, and the rain, and and the end when he can't stand when anymore. He learns humility. He asks for help. Yeah, and everyone in his class yeah. steps to attention. They help, and it's it is affecting. And, but he learned that to channel the rage of his sister dying yes. and all this into some sort of teamwork and camaraderie and all this and you know Gladys just doesn't get with the program you're right so he literally says it Prince Philip um, presents the cup for like the annual race of the students or whatever and he says that this school will teach you community over the individual and team over the the superstar Um, and then Earlier in the episode, there's a scene where Charles is, goes to the Savile Row with his uncle and is fitted for a suit. Yeah, fitted for all of his ox. Uh, sorry, his Eton uniforms, which is like a fucking boater hat and a morning jacket, and you know, like the idea is the juxtaposition of like the individualized pomposity of the English upper class and the rugged kind of practicality of yeah, well, rural it, Scotland. What you said just actually struck me because of, of recalling to me to what Philip said of the individual over the superstar. Right. And in a sense, he gets it twisted a lot throughout the series. But do you think that 
that line to me illuminates a lot of what he's railing against within the monarchy. A lot mm. of it is coded and coded in all this sort of machismo, you know, meninist type of like, I- I'm the man, I'm going to do this sort of thing. But essentially, that's his complaint. That's his central indictment of yeah. it isn't the team, it's the superstar. Yeah. Um, which does, I think, also qualify a lot of what he does throughout, um, which is interesting. Uh, that episode does, I must say, contain... I, I, it's the only time the show ever did it. But when Philip's sister dies in a plane crash later, after the plane crash that you described, um, Philip goes out in the woods and has this sort of like mystical dream sequence. Yeah, it is weird. Where he essentially stumbles upon the wreckage and finds his sister. And it's a horrible scene because in true to real life, the sister gave birth to her child. And he sees it all, and we see it all. Yeah. And it's horrible, and it's the only time this show ever fooled around promiscuously was this sort of dreamlike state. Yeah, right. And I, it, it, it stuck out like a sore thumb for that reason, and I think it uh, eliminated and undercut the grounded nature of that whole episode. A- a- and that's m- probably my most hated scene in the series. Ah. Um, because I think this episode is so fucking good and well-written and acted. And it's just the linchpin, I think, or it could have been in the show. And this moment, to me, didn't ruin it. I'm still clearly in favor. Mm. Undercut so much. I agree. I Horrible. I think I maybe glazed over somewhat while it was happening, so I didn't... It wasn't so... It... It, it was so bad to me, but it was definitely I glazed over because it was so unnecessary and it was just didn't fit it, the tone. But it's funny of because I remember watching it for the first time, and because of the way the show, the whole show has been constructed with no sort of surreal elements like this, mm. I took it as it actually happened. Until about halfway through the scene, I figured, no, this is clearly a dream sequence. Mm. This cannot have physically happened. But for the the first five or so minutes of whatever it was, I was like. How is this possible? Yeah. And the moment you start to think, how is this possible? What's going on? You're taking it. You're no longer watching a thing. You're taken out of it. And for an episode that I was completely enraptured by, I I, I felt betrayed in that moment. Um, Yeah, well, it definitely wasn't necessary because the guy the actor who played young philip was so good yeah that he very clearly portrayed the anguish uh so and that the fence building the gate building sequence does that as well like i don't think there's you're not in any doubt that he's traumatized by what's happened no you get it so it's on it's it is very unnecessary um yeah yeah it's it, it ruined it, and I think it took away the sort of realism that that whole episode had going for it. Yeah. And, and and that the whole show, for better or for worse, does have going for it. Mm. Um, which is funny, because I think the next episode is the finale. Um, yes. Which doubles down on pretty much all of the Elizabeth Phillips stuff we've been talking about. Yeah, so but in a way that happens. I don't think illuminates too much, except for the final scene... Yeah, where where they kind of, I'll put air quotes around it, but they reconcile. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, the, whole well, they, episode, the whole episode is more... They, yes. We've dealt with this before. We've been on this show. We've seen it before. Uh, Elizabeth thinks that Philip is cheating. Yeah. Well, I guess well, maybe... we've seen this episode already. Well, maybe it's the... So the season opens with them fighting. The season closes with them reconciling. They're fighting because the Queen has found this locket of this woman, right? There's, that yeah. Philip is having an affair. There's the locket oh. of the woman, and there's also um, a paper that's released that shows a sort of uh, sex party, yeah. whereby which a mystery man, in which is the title of the episode, but, actually, yeah, yeah. is there, and they all say, doesn't that look like Philip? Yeah. He's turned around, yeah, yeah, yeah. obviously, but they say, doesn't that look like him? And it sort of gets in the queen's mind, and, and she discovers the locket, and yeah. all this stuff. But is the, a, well, sorry, my point is that the locket is found by the Queen in the first episode of the season. Mm, yeah. So Philip's packing to go to Australia. She tries to sneak a gift into his bag and finds this photo of a woman that he's having an affair with. Or he's at least, you know, seen on a few occasions. And then they, they're having, at the, the last episode, the last scene of the last episode, they're having their argument about what are they doing, where are they going to go, and she pulls out this locket and shows it to him. So it ties it back to the very start of the season. Right. No, and, and But they do all for nothing, pretty much, because he says, you know, I've always been for this family. I've always been for you. My job is to be here for you, and I know that, and that's what I am. So it doesn't really go anywhere. And it's especially interesting because you've said, you told me that they intend to recast... They do intend to recast. That episode is the last time we're going to see all the characters right? Um, in their current iteration. So I assume they're going to make them older yes. and jump forward. Yes. And it's, it's got to be a significant amount of time, right? Yeah, they're probably have to a be decade late. or two. Right. So what's the point of this? Why would you end on this, like a personal moment, if you're then going to move forward? 10 years well I think it's the, the close I, I believe it? I don't know the history too much but I think it's roughly the close of this chapter of their lives if we go forward and we're going to continue on with the philandering nature of Philip that's stupid but if yeah, this is roughly yeah, okay. the close right. of that chapter of his roguish young days as he, he went about yeah, and okay. it's we can grade this finale on what happens next but as a closure of a storyline Actually, the best part of the episode uh, to me was when Elizabeth says, you know, if this is what you need to do, I'm willing mm. to turn a blind eye and look away. Yeah. Because we obviously cannot get divorced. And they've also been through this before. Yeah. But we, we can't end this like most folk. We're going to have to keep going forward. And if sleeping around is what helps you keep going forward then I'm all for it. And Philip says, no, as you just mentioned. I'm for this family. I'm for you. And he sort of holds his head in her lap. Mm. And it's the close of that chapter on their lives. Meaning that not just that chapter of their lives of this type of fight, but of this era of them. Yes. Because they themselves have to evolve and grow. If the new actors and the new writing doesn't actually have them 
learn and grow, and we get on this merry-go-round again. Yeah. This was all for fucking nothing. Yeah, right. Okay. But well, if it's not, then I think that this was the... It could only end with the closing uh, of a personal moment. I think. I don't know that I agree with that, because for me, like, you know... I, as I've said a million times, the most interesting thing is Elizabeth coming to terms with her role and finding her... Right, but how many how many more ways, not to interrupt you, but how many more ways can they find a way for her to do that? Well, that's what I'm saying. So if then let's now assume we're going to jump forward 10 years. She will have been... So she mentions in one of the last couple episodes that she's been the queen for 10 years by the end of the second season. So let's jump forward 10 years... She's going to have been queen by for 20 years. Mm. Like, by now she's got this shit down, right? She knows exactly what she's doing. But she ends... Claire Foy ends her... Tenure. Tenure, thank you. Of the... As the queen in a... In just as much a wishy-washy way as she started it. She doesn't really step into... Well, in any particular way. No, but but maybe, and this is maybe more of a, a slight vagary that I'm I'm blowing up. But that's not the last scene of the the show. Yeah, there's something else that I can't remember. The last scene is. is I'm taking a family portrait, which is roughly uh, yeah, it runs yeah. parallel also to one of the first scenes when you know they're taking photos of Philip crowned as he is, as we just talked about. He 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 had to get the sacraments to be able to marry the former royal, so they're taking photos. And, okay, and they also take more photos in the beginning of the, the next episode when, oh gosh, um, it's a birthday, it, it, you know, or whatever, but essentially, uh, Jared Harris, King George, gives her a gift. I think it's actually that same fucking scene, uh, if this made it too for some reason. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, she, he gives her a, a film camera. Uh, yeah. to, to capture all the images and so you have this idea of reviewing them through the royal photographer through her own images taking photos and at the end they take a similar family photo and everyone's sort of fussing about and it's the quietest way I do agree you could have shown Elizabeth showing her a certain but you know she says everyone no, she doesn't. Shut the f- doesn't she? I'm sorry. I watched it like 10 hours ago. Oh, my God. I don't mean to. <laughs> Philip does it. Philip stands up and oh, says, everyone shut up. Like, how hard is it? Let's just take the photo. Well, then I'm and wrong. she sits there and the last, the very last kind of frame, I guess, is her. She's holding, um, who must be like Edward, the youngest kid. Um, she's like cradling him because he's a newborn. So it does do that in that it ends this chapter they've now had all their children right they're not gonna be young anymore um but anyway she's cradling she's sitting there cradling his child philip gets up says like everyone shut up let's just take the bloody photo sits down and she elizabeth like reaches out her hand and grabs philip's hand Mm. as like i guess like a thank you or a a kind of solidarity move do you think that was because i was clearly wrong obviously um but do you think that that means they're implying that she's happy because it seems as if Philip is taking the reins in a way, in a, more, in a more staid manner, not um, not extravagant, not roguish, not uh, you know the nail that needs to be hit on the head to go in, right? You know, he's now taking charge in a way that 
we're doing this thing. He's also taking charge in a way that helps her. Right, but you mean like, this is, I think, do you think that means that... Possibly. We're doing this thing. And she sort of looks at him and smiles in that way. Yeah. To suggest, yes, we are. In a quiet way. It's not a big moment. But do you think that's them suggesting? Possibly. Um, and I guess that you just said quiet, which makes me realize that you know, all through all two seasons, Elizabeth is quiet. She has a quiet dignity and a quiet forcefulness and a quiet power. Right. And even when she gets mad and moves the chess pieces, like I said, to get what she wants, she does it calmly. This is what I was trying to say like an hour ago when I couldn't think of the words. (laughs) Why I hate the Onassis or the Kennedys episode is because she sheds all that. She sheds her kind of like demureness and her thinking things through for an impulsive gesture that didn't ring true. Right. I, um, I think that that's what Claire Foy does best is she brings the the quiet fury. Yeah. Um, Sorry. <laughs> Another, I don't know how this is going to shoehorn. This doesn't relate to anything at all. But what I find fascinating about this series is that there are, especially the first season with Winston Churchill, there are just these really long speeches. There are just these moments of dialogue that go on forever and they're brilliantly written. They're incredible and they like, you know, show so much. They give us an insight. Like they tell us exactly what these characters are thinking and feeling and how we should think and feel. But Claire Foy does the exact same thing with a look. Mm-hmm. And the, the kind of split between the two is fascinating that half of it is just bloviated English people you know talking their English language like they're so fancy my favorite (laughs) your favorite and then it's her like either looking out a window or looking at somebody or just saying thank you just like cutting someone off and it's so quiet and reserved but forceful and it's it's yeah oh she uh She's someone to look out for, Claire Foy. Mm. I think she's absolutely wonderful. She's, um, she's quite wonderful. She's, she's going to be in the, the new Girl of the Dragon tattoo movie. So I hear. I don't know if you've seen, seen saw, the trailer. No, I haven't. I saw a photo of it there. Uh, I don't know how that's going to go. Um, so our next episode is going to be... The Girl with the Dragon the, tattoo. The Girl on the Spider's Web, the sequel. Yeah. So go um, the dragon tattoo. That can be another B-side. Can... Just you talking into the phone. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to be here for that one. Thanks for revealing that we recorded this thing on my phone. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs>